Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. tonight going to end our journey through the Psalms. It ends with a crescendo of praise and worship. And, I, and I'm thinking in my mind, it was like almost all of the psalmists got together and they had a big worship night. And this is how the, the, Psalm, the book of Psalms ended and how fitting it is that we're going to have a, a night of worship on Friday just to, to lift praises up to the Lord. Uh, we'll start in Psalm 145. 145. This is the last psalm that we can definitely attribute to David, although we, you know, we sort of see David's heart running through most of the psalms, and the remaining ones could be of David also. Whoever the author is of these final songs, they express rich praise, and praise in such totality that, that anything we could or would praise God about is included in these, in these songs. And what I love about them, not only what we praise God about, but what can praise God, what of creation praises him. So we're going to see all of that as we work through it. Uh, jumping in in verses, verses 1 through 7 of Psalm 145, a praise of David, I will extol you, my God, O king, and I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and I will praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. I will meditate on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works. Men shall speak of the might of your awesome acts, and I will declare your greatness. They shall utter the memory of your great goodness and shall sing of your righteousness. How many times did he say great, greatness? Great is the Lord you know, in, this, in these few verses. And just as Psalm 1 began with a blessing aimed at the reader of the psalm for, the, uh, for those who remain close to God, this psalm speaks of blessing God, of us blessing God. And how do we bless God? We bless Him with praise. We bless Him with obedience. We, and really, the two go hand in hand. As we bless God, He will bless us. In Psalm 1, Verses 1 and 2, it says, Blessed is the man who walks not, not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. So as we search the Scriptures, as we dig into the Word, as we are obedient to the law of the Lord, he will bless us. Psalm 37, 4 says, Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. So it's like a, it's that, that beautiful re reciprocal relationship that we have with God. We bless him, and he pours blessings down on us. Of course, we could never outbless God, but it's nice to try, and it's nice to see how he ble just blesses us when we're obedient to him. Verses 1 and 2 give us the four I wills of praise. I will extol you. I will bless your name. I will bless you every day. 
and I will praise your name forever and ever. You know, these tell of praises to the king. You know, sort of what is God's place in our life? Is he the king of our life? Is he the ruler of all things? Is he sovereign? And then blessing his name for his character, for his attributes that, you know, are just great and wondrous and that are praiseworthy. And I love the psalmist says here, every day I will bless you. Daily. That's a daily thing that we get to do with with, uh, a relationship with God. And then not only daily, but forever, into eternity. Um, And I, I like thinking of it this way. It's sort of us preparing for eternity. Every day in this life, we get to bless God. And we're going to be just doing that throughout eternity in heaven with him. So we, bl- we praise him because he's great, so great we can't even comprehend it, that his works are so mighty. And, uh, his, and think about the wonderful things that he does on our behalf and how praiseworthy that makes him, his majesty, his magnificence, his splendor. We praise him for all of those grand things and we praise him just for his goodness. You know, that's sort of like, you know, just to us. You know, that those things that we know that God does, especially for us, his loving kindness, his, his long-suffering, you know, his forgiveness that we sense, we, we know. When we, when, we, when we confess our sins, the Bible says, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We know that, we can feel that, we sense that in that relationship with him. So as grand as he is to, to praise as intimate as he is in our lives. And uh, we just praise him in all of those things. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, verse 8, slow to anger and great in mercy. The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works. All your works shall praise you, O Lord, and your saints shall bless you. So we get a picture here of the long-suffering of God toward his creation. Nine times that phrase, slow to anger, occurs. I know Gail Irwin used to say, slow to anger. You know, slow, long-suffering, full of compassion on us. Boy, do we need that. You know, how much we need to be reminded, you know, which is why I think that phrase is mentioned so many times, that even when we mess up, you know, God still loves us. He's slow to anger. You know, he doesn't have that quick uh, fuse like many of us might have. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and talk of your power to make known to the sons of men his mighty acts and the glorious majesty of his kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all, the, all generations. So recognizing his majesty and then, and then telling our children, our grandchildren and Anyone within our sphere of influence, you know, it says here, we make known to the sons of men his mighty acts. And that's, we talk of his power. It's, it's what we should do as, as children of God. We should be just telling people about how, how awesome God is. The Lord upholds all who fall and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look expectantly to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. This is God's dealing with his creation. You know, and I, the psalmist says here, every living thing. God provides. 
for all of his creation. I think in verse 15, when I was, when I was doing the study, preparing it, I was thinking of my dog who just looks up at me expectantly. It says, it says the eyes of all look expectantly to you. I don't know if you, have a, if you guys have a dog, but when my dog knows exactly where his treats, her treats are, and he'll, she'll look up at me and then look at her treats and look up at me and look at her treats. They look expectantly at us. You know, I think of the birds, the little baby birds who open their mouths expectantly for their mom to drop the, uh, you know, the, the worm into their mouth. So we do that with God and he, and he provides. You know, he satisfies all of our needs because he cares for us, provides for all living things. The Lord is righteous in all his ways, gracious in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of those who fear him. He will also hear their cry and save them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth shall speak the praise of the Lord, and all flesh shall bless his holy name forever and ever. God is to be praised for how he extends grace to all those who believe. You know, I love the, in these verses how many times the psalmist mentions all. The Lord is complete, complete in his salvation to all who would believe, to all who would put their faith and trust in him. And he's also complete in his judgment, you know, all of the wicked he will destroy. There's no exceptions, you know. Uh, God's door is wide open for all who would enter, but for all who would refuse that gift, he's complete in his judgment. John, John 6.37, Jesus says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. That's, that's just the completeness of, of God's grace to all who would believe. Psalm 146 brings together several elements that should be part of our everyday praise of God. Faith, hope, and thanksgiving. We just, you know, each and every day we can identify those things in our life that God is doing that are praiseworthy. And so in this psalm, several of those things are, uh, are, are mentioned. Verses 1 through um, 4. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. While I live, I will praise the Lord. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Do not put your trust in princes, nor in the Son of Man, in whom there is no help. His spirit departs. He returns to his earth. In that very day... His plans perish. These verses express the confidence that we as believers enjoy in a relationship that we have with God. We don't trust in the things of this world because the things of this world are unstable. The things of this world are insecure. Man's plans perish. They either perish in execution because they're not they're not good plans or not godly plans or they perish just in time. You know, time runs out sometimes for man's plans. God's ways are perfect and his ways will always come to completion. They will always be fulfilled. Happy is he, verse 5, who has the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps truth forever, 
who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord gives freedom to the prisoners. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord raises those who are bowed down. And the Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over strangers. He relieves the fatherless and widow. But the way of the wicked, he turns upside down. The Lord shall reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. This is the last time that we'll encounter the phrase, happy is he. We praise God because he brings us such joy. And some of the ways that he does that, he watches over those who are burdened. He provides for those who are need, in, in need. He heals both physically, sometimes physically, but certainly spiritually. He heals. He encourages those who are depressed and disheartened. Verse 9 says, God especially cares for those who are in immediate need. And, you know, I think of the Old Testament law that, that spoke of um, just a stranger going through the field and being able to just pluck, you know, the, from the outside of the field the grain that was remaining, that the, that the uh, farmer actually was told not to harvest twice so as to leave something there for those that are in need. In Deuteronomy 23, verses 24 and 25, we see this, this reference. When you come into your neighbor's vineyard, you may eat your fill of the grapes at your pleasure, but you shall not put in any in your container. In other words, don't go into his field and start to harvest for yourself. If you're in need and you're coming along uh, you know, where there's, there's some... Uh, there's some fruit or, or vegetables growing. You can sort of harvest from the, uh, just take what you need for that time. When you come into your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck the heads with your hand, but you shall not use a sickle on your neighbor's standing grain. So there were, there were rules there. But uh, the, the point is God provides for those in, in immediate need. You know, he, he provided even in his law. Spiritually, we see the application to those who were strangers. We're strangers to God because of sin. And yet he's made a provision for us. He's nourished us by his word. And that's our really our, our sustenance. That's our immediate need, spiritually speaking. And then, you know, just it ends with praise. Praise the Lord. He's worthy to be praised. Psalm 147, another invitation to praise the Lord for His general goodness and for His specific grace and mercy toward His chosen people, Israel. And then by application, we see to all of those who in humility come to Him. So jumping in the first six verses, praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant and praise is beautiful. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers together the outcasts of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He counts the number of the stars. He calls them all by name. Great is our God and mighty in power. His understanding is infinite. The Lord lifts up the humble and he casts the wicked down to the ground. So we see here more singing, more praises doesn't matter what kind of singing voice we have. Praise is beautiful to the Lord because he, if, it's, if it's motivated by love and by thanksgiving, 
then he's, he's pleased with our praise as long as our motives are pure. You know, Psalm 100 says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all the earth. So, you know, we, we praise him because we, we love him. And his compassion on those who have undergone affliction, we see. We see God's compassionate hand. And, you know, we can understand, too, that if God is capable of handling all of these big problems, you know, and because he's so powerful and he's so mighty, certainly he can handle what we're going through. And he does. He cares for us. He's more than able. Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Sing praises on the harp to our God who covers the heavens with clouds, who prepares rain for the earth, who makes grass to grow on the mountains. He gives to the beast its food and to the young ravens that cry. He does not delight in the strength of the horse. He takes no pleasure in the legs of a man. The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his mercy. The invitation to praise continues to go out. And the invitation to praise is really a res- it's an invitation for a response from us to God for all that he is. It's a reply of our hearts toward God for all that he's done. And we start to see the psalmist here speaking, using musical instruments to praise him. And, you know, there's a lot of different, there's a lot of different ideas about that, but I know that, that even back then they used many different instruments to praise the Lord. And he's given us those things for our pleasure and for uh, his glory. Um, just because, you know, there's a, there's a lot of ways of looking at it. Just because man has taken um, the gift of music and maybe corrupted it in so many ways. There's so many, there's, there's so many examples of how, how, you know, the gift that God has given in music has been corrupted that we can't, we can't use that as sort of a, a, an example of the fact that we shouldn't use that type of thing in praising the Lord. I think we can do that. As we respond to God, he responds to those who reverence him and trust in his provision for salvation. And it's like a symbiotic, symbiotic relationship with the Lord. The creator of the universe takes pleasure in what we can offer him. But as he does that, you know, we take pleasure in him. So it's that relationship, that beautiful relationship that we have with God. Praise the Lord, O Jerusalem. Praise your God, O Zion, for he has strengthened the bars of your gates. He has blessed your children within you. He makes peace in your borders and fills you with the finest wheat. He sends out his command to the earth. His word runs very swiftly. He gives snow like wool. He scatters the frost like ashes. He casts out his hail like morsels. Who can stand before his cold? He sends out his word and melts them. He causes his wind to blow and the waters flow. He declares his word to Jacob, his statutes and his judgments to Israel. He has not dealt thus with any nation and as for his judgments, they have not known them. Praise the Lord. We see God's love for Israel here in these verses. And we see, you know, 
Jerusalem just that natural setting for praise because of all that it means to God. It's the center throughout history. It was the center of God's thoughts. And God has not forgotten Israel. He still has promises for Israel. Jerusalem is the city of peace, represents the peace that we can have with God, but it's also, it's also going to be the city of judgment for the, those who remain enemies of God. Zechariah 14 says, In that day, in verse 4, In that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives, Olives shall be split in two from east to west, making a very large valley. Half of the mountain shall be moved toward the north and half of it toward the south. And then in verse 12, And this shall be the plague with which the Lord will strike all the people who fought against Jerusalem. Their flesh shall dissolve while they stand on their feet. Their eyes shall dissolve in their sockets and their tongues shall dissolve in their mouths. We see here uh, just God's love for, for Israel, love for Jerusalem, and then his judgment on those who who go against his chosen people, Israel. And uh, those judgments are not for Israel. And then again, it ends just in praise. Just as God has revealed himself in a special way to the nation Israel, he has chosen to do the same for us. He's revealed himself to all those who believe in the gift of his grace. So again, we see Praise at the beginning, praise at the end of the psalm for God. The anticipation here is building as we move through these, these psalms. In Psalm 148, um, Spurgeon wrote of this psalm, and you've got to understand the language here, just the magnificence of how he puts this. As a flash of lightning flames through space and enwraps both heaven and earth in one vestment of glory, so doth, doth the adoration of the Lord in this psalm light up all the universe and cause it to glow with a radiance of praise. The song begins in the heavens, sweeps downward to dragons and all deeps, and then ascends again till all the people near unto Jehovah take up the strain. So we're going to see in Psalm 148 just this, just this building, building of praise of everything that praises the Lord. So jumping in, in verse 1, praise the Lord, praise the Lord from the heavens, praise Him in the heights. So three times praise here is encouraged and praising Him uh, in the heights speaks of Him exalting the humble. And, you know, we speak of, again of that relationship. Those who humble themselves before God, He will exalt, He'll lift us up. You know, and our response to Him for that is just praise, praise, praise. Uh, verses 2 through 10, Praise Him, all His angels. Praise Him, all His hosts. Praise Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all you stars of light. Praise Him, you heaven of heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he has commanded and they were created. He has also established them forever and ever. He made a decree which shall not pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all the depths, fire and hail, snow and clouds, snor stormy wind, fulfilling his word. 
mountains and all hills, fruitful trees and all cedars, beast and all cattle, creeping things and flying fowl. So I don't, know if he, I don't think he left anything out here, but it's everything that's going to praise the Lord. The universal aspect here of praise. The angels who were created by God specifically for worship will continue to praise him into the future. You know, the holy angels have never stopped praising God or ministering to him or singing to him in worship. The entirety of creation will worship him. And, you know, I look at this, I look at everything that, he, that he's talking about here, fruitful trees, cedars, beasts and all cattle, everything here. And, uh, you know, we, we, see that, we see that he created all of those things. He created all of those things for his glory. You know, and we are the ones who he gave the opportunity and the privilege to actually be able to praise him for that. You know, he talks about the universality of everything he created and how awesome it is. While we know that those inanimate objects can't praise him like we can, he's only given us that privilege. So, it's kind of, to me, it's like a rebuke to those who can praise him but don't. You know, because we see his awesome power and we just, we just um, we, we can't help but lift up our voices in praise to him. Luke nineteen thirty-eight to 40, it says, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And you guys know the scene here. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. You know, God is saying, listen, there's praise. I am praiseworthy. We should be praising him. How can we keep silent uh, in our praise? Uh, when we see everything that he's done. Uh, Verses 11 through 14, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all judges of the earth, both young men and maidens, old men and children, let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His glory is above the earth and heaven, and he has exalted the horn of his people, the praise of all of his saints, of the children of Israel, a people near to him, praise the Lord. So we see here uh, in the prior verses, we saw all of, the, all of the things in creation that should cause us to praise him. And now we see the, the human uh, element of praise. It doesn't matter what our position is. It doesn't what our, matter what our rank is, what our class is. We're called to praise him. It doesn't matter our age. It doesn't matter our gender. It doesn't matter. We're all called to praise the Lord for those who are near to him, it should be just something that flows out of us. You know, in James 4.8, it says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. It's, again, as we, can, as we praise him, we're going we're gonna to see evidence of his, of his love toward us. Psalm 149 is a new song. So I like that because I'm always asking my worship team to send me new songs. And um, they do. And so uh, this is a new song, Psalm 149. Um, and I think uh, 
it sort of tells us too that uh, you know our relationship is is not should not remain stagnant with the Lord. That we should always be thinking of new ways to praise Him, new reasons to praise Him. That our relationship with the Lord is new each day. You know, we have a, you know, uh, for those who are in Christ, we are a new creation. You know, there's so much newness, freshness in our relationship with the Lord. You know, we, sh- we have a new heart, we have a new mind, we have a new way of looking at the world. You know, and so we sing a new song to Him. Um, the mood of this psalm is joyful excitement as demonstrated by the building of the praise from voices to instruments to dancing. We're going to see all of that unfold through this psalm. Verse 1, praise the Lord, sing to the Lord a new song and his praise in the assembly of saints. So uh, we just see here just the newness of our relationship with him. Verse 2 and 3, let Israel rejoice in their maker. Let the children of Zion be joyful in their king. Let them praise his name with the dance. Let them sing praises to him with the timbrel and the harp. Okay, so so the psalmist here is encouraging us to use everything at our disposal to, to uh, praise the Lord. So now the question we may have here is dancing uh, or playing of instruments proper in today's expression of worship? Or is that strictly an Old Testament way of praising the Lord. And when I thought about this, I, went, I did a little research, and believe it or not, there's differences of opinion even amongst really solid believers. So I'm looking at my commentaries, and I see Matthew Henry, you know, actually Spurgeon s- speaks similarly to, uh, to this subject, but Matthew Henry writes, and again, the language is, it's kind of old English, but they who from hence urge the use of music in religious worship must by the same rule introduce dancing, for they went together, as in David's dancing before the ark in Judges 21.21. But whereas many scriptures in the New Testament keep up singing as a gospel ordinance, none provide for the keeping up of music and dancing. The gospel canon for psalmody, which is the singing of of songs, is to sing with the Spirit and with understanding, Matthew Henry. So he would not like our praise team. He would not like the instruments that we use. I'm not even sure if he would, I mean, it sounds as though um, he he said it's more of an Old Testament type uh, custom to use instruments, but the New Testament only speaks of singing. Now, I was always told to caution against arguments based on the silence of the scriptures, you know, because um, dancing and instruments were not mentioned in the New Testament. So we, so we would f- infer from that, according to people like Matthew Henry, that it shouldn't be used. Well, computers were not mentioned in the New Testament. So many things that we have in our, at our disposal nowadays were not mentioned specifically in the New Testament. So should we eliminate them from any form of worship? We didn't, we didn't have electricity in the Old Testament. I mean, there's so many things that we can just think of that we use to enhance our, our worship services that I think are proper. Now, I think the whole, the whole point here is, is it tasteful? 
and is it orderly? Now, I don't know if we will ever do interpretive dance. Pastor Joe would have to think of But many churches actually do interpretive dances that go along with, with scriptures. I'm not sure if we're, if we're there, uh, if, if we, would, we would go down that road. We certainly have no problem with using musical instruments in our worship service. But the point is, you don't all have music, musical instruments. And if you did and you all started playing, then it would be, I think, un, uh, disorderly. So I go to the New Testament now. I'm, I'm just hanging here for a little bit because I think it's important we understand that there's differences of opinion here. So I go to the New Testament. The New Testament says in 1 Corinthians 14, uh, 33, God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Another uh, version says God is not a God of disorder. So then I look at the end of that chapter, and Paul writes, let all things be done decently and in order. Now, the context of that is He's really speaking of, of tongues within a worship service. But I think we can extend his, his uh, exhortation here to let all things be done decently and in order to apply to our, our entire service. You know, we, we have an order that we do things in and, it's, and it seems to be tasteful and it's glorifying to God and it's comforting to to. Uh, you know, to you guys, and we know what we're supposed to be doing. And so I think that, um, not to belabor it, but when the, when the scriptures say, and you're, we're going to see in Psalm 150, all of the different things that the psalmist says we should praise the Lord with, that, that as long as we do it with a part of worship, uh, in a tasteful way and in an orderly way, I think it's pleasing to the Lord. I think the test really is, is it focusing on him? Does the worship focus on God? Does it lead people into worship or does it take people away from worship? And I think that's really the test. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people, verse four. He will beautify the humble with salvation. Let the saints be joyful in glory. Let them sing aloud on their beds. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and as a two-edged sword in their hand to execute vengeance on the nations and punishments on the peoples, to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron, to execute on them the written judgment. This honor have all his saints. Praise the Lord. So the two-edged sword of, of praise, you know, it's a reaction uh, we get for those who love God and for those who do not praise God. You know, there's, there's, uh, you know, there's a uh, result that happens um, from praise. Because notice when you praise the Lord because of something he's done in your life, how it might annoy people who don't believe or how it might start to, you know, irk them. You know, you're always talking about what the Lord's doing in your life. Why do you, why, why do you always mention that? Why are you praising the Lord? So I think that that's the two-edged sword that, the psalmist is talking about here. For those who love God and know that it's right to praise him, it's a, it's a good thing and they'll, they'll be with us with that. For those who don't know God, who don't love God, it's a conviction maybe. 
of the enemies of, to the enemies of God, you know, because they don't praise him. Maybe they're jealous. Maybe they're envious of a relationship with God. But it's a two-edged sword. God honors those who remain faithful. And he concludes here with that exhortation to praise the Lord regardless of those who, who, uh, who hate God. We just praise him anyway. Psalm 150 I just want to read through it and I want it to linger in our hearts and our minds. I think um, it's just the pinnacle of the reason for this whole book. I think it's the, just the climax of everything that we've, we've seen through the Psalms. Think about everything that David has, has shown us with everything that he's been through. All of the psalmists through their through their difficulties and their trials and, and even their depression. And we just end with praise because we know how awesome God is. So you feel free if you'd like to read it with me, but we'll start here in verse 1, Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty firmament. Praise Him for His mighty acts. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise Him with the lute and the harp. Praise Him with the timbrel and dance. Praise Him with stringed instruments and flutes. Praise Him with loud cymbals. Praise Him with clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we do praise you. We do worship you and glorify you, God. And we thank you, Lord, so much for your word to us. We thank you for the heart of the psalmist who penned uh, these expressions of love and all of the other emotions that they went through, Lord. We, we thank you that we have the privilege of worshiping and praising you. And so, Lord, we we ask that you would just um, that you would give us a desire to praise you daily, and um, just consider all that you've done in our lives. And we thank you in Jesus' name, Amen. You've been listening to. To every generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.